Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. What's going on? This is Evan Stewart from the Obsessed Podcast. If you want to learn how to be obsessed with your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network Podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to another episode here on the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I am featuring a good buddy of mine, Evan Stewart. Evan has uh, uh, been, a, been a good friend now for the past few months. Uh, we met out at a cigar lounge meetup out in Dallas, which is something we talk about a little bit here in the first part of the show. And um, really didn't know anything about him. He didn't know anything about me, just kind of met and started following each other on social media. And then um, a couple months later, after my dad and I bought a property out there, we started doing a little bit of business with Evan. And uh, really since then, I've just been really impressed with the guy and what he's been able to accomplish so far. He is a master coach, trainer, and entrepreneur with years of experience building businesses and people to a higher potential. Evan's success as an eight-figure closer background as one of the top producing realtors in his market, expertise working with luxury and ultra luxury products, and years acting as an entrepreneurial consultant to growing businesses has provided the perfect framework to identify, learn, implement, and adapt powerful structures in professional growth. So Evan is 25 years old and is a top luxury real estate agent out in the Dallas market, which if you know anything about the real estate market at all, you know how difficult it is to break into the luxury market of selling homes. And so Evan's been able to do that within just a few years of breaking into becoming a real estate agent. So 
Evan has a, has, a, has a wealth of knowledge around sales and closing and prospecting, which is all stuff that we cover in this episode. But we also cover how to fix your money mindset, why you need to master and perfect your sales ability. And we talk about how to make up for your lack of experience if you're young or just new to an industry to the point where you can still be a top leader in that industry, even if it's one that is as crowded and as long-standing as real estate. So um, there's a lot, a lot of great stuff here in this episode. But first, really quickly, before we get into that, I wanted to let you all know that I recently opened up a few more VIP day slots in my calendar for the month of April. So if podcasting is something that's on the top of, of your priority list this year, if you know, regardless of if you're trying to start an entire business from a podcast, or if you're just trying to learn more about a certain topic, or if you want to use this as a lead generation source for a business that's already producing income, whatever it is, um, let me help you do that. I've paid tens of thousands of dollars for the knowledge that I have around this topic, and I've spent time with some of the top podcasters in iTunes. Um, so you're going to come out here, spend a full day with me in Vegas. We'll do, do an entire day on strategizing on what we're going to be able to do to help you with your podcasting launch your growth, your monetization techniques, all of those types of things. So um, spend a full day with me out here, eat all of our meals together, get to know each other on a personal level as well. Plus, I'll give you access to a few key people in my network that I've really worked hard to build good relationships with that will be able to help you get this thing off the ground and into the world as quickly as possible. So if you're interested in this experience at all, head over to travischapel.com slash coaching to apply. And hopefully I will see you here in Vegas really soon. And now here is my chat with Evan Stewart. Evan, what is up, bro? Thanks so much for coming on the show today. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. I sure do appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, it's so funny thinking back to how we got connected. And uh, I was just trying to remember that before because we've been going back and forth with a bunch of real estate stuff and uh, just trying <laughs> to remember, like, where did we actually meet? And uh, it's so funny trying to trace back connection from connection from connection, especially, you know, in the past year and a half, just because it's kind of exploded in front of me with the people that I know now. And uh, we just like kind of coincidentally met at a little um, cigar lounge meetup that was put on by a mutual friend, Matt Monero, Dallas market, right? That was like really the first time we ever, we ever, we ever actually shook hands and met. And then at that, the time, like I, I had no idea who you were and I don't think you knew who I was, right? Like we just kind of like met and somebody else just was like, oh yeah, this is Travis, this is Evan. And then we just kind of did background <laughs> like research. Yeah. Yeah. And then basically I was like, Hey, you should start a podcast. And then you were like, yeah, I'm going to. And then yeah. you started one. It's like, oh, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So now here we are, I don't know, a few months later and uh, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just impressed by you, bro. There's, there's a lot of people that I have on the show and I try to try to continuously bring on people that just impress me regardless of what industry or background or results, whatever it is, I just try to bring on impressive people and uh, have cool conversations with them. So I appreciate you for coming on. Awesome. Happy to do it. Yeah, of course, man. So first of all, and everybody listening, you, you heard a little bit about Evan in his bio, but I don't know how you kind of got started in all this, bro, because for most people, I don't see that in high school, junior high, like I just don't see a lot of people that are like, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be like a sales coach. Like I really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to sell all this and maybe, maybe you did that for real estate, maybe not, but tell me about like childhood Evan. What was it like growing up being Evan? And then where did all this come from? What did you want to be when you grew up? Like what, where were you going in high school? What was the direction you got set? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I was always really, really entrepreneurial, but I had a lot of just aimless entrepreneurial energy. So I was always doing something, but I wasn't necessarily doing something well. 
for a long time. But it's like, I, I remember one of my earliest entrepreneurial pursuits was when I, I think we mentioned this actually when you were on on my my show, uh, we talked about this, of when I, uh, I would buy packaged fruit snacks like in bulk uh, in elementary school. And then I would resell those for, you know, a couple extra dollars. And um, I made uh, good money, you know, a couple of bucks or whatnot. And then from there, it just expanded to, um, like you, I had landscaping business at some point in high school. And we ended up getting a couple of houses in a row. So that way we could just take the riding lawnmower like all the way across. And it got into uh, my biggest actual business that actually was a pretty solid moneymaker. I had teachers on my payroll and everything. Uh, when I was in high school was we were in an electronics refurb and resale business. And so at the time, can't really do it anymore, but you could buy these crates, broken electronics, you know, iPods, iPhones, Macs, all, all that type of thing. You could refurbish them. So we made partnerships with refurbishing companies, would refurbish the electronics and then resell them. And you made like a couple thousand dollars a week, you know, like a thousand percent profit on some of these items. Cause out of every case, I mean, there's always one where you get one, it's like, Hey, this actually works just fine. And, um, and so it, it ended up being pretty well, but so I was always entrepreneurial. I come from a line of entrepreneurs and the bug in my family was always kind of there. It was more of a, if you want to go make money, what business do you start or who do you help in order to go and actually make money? It was never, I want to get a job. It's okay. I want to do something or I want to make money. Now I'm going to start another business or I'm going to start something or serve in some way. And so when I got into college, I, at the time had been consulting actually for kind of smaller startups with younger entrepreneurs in the business standpoint, just, okay, here's what I learned through managing people and managing product and the taxes of it and the implications of what happens when your product gets lost and insurance and some of the basic logistics of just running a business. And I remember I was in school and I was thinking to myself, there was this business professor who was talking about what works, never owned a business. He graduated himself decades earlier when things were completely different. And I remember thinking to myself, I thought these principles are exactly what I tried and what didn't work in my business. So I was really looking for something to do with my time because I had sold the entrepreneurial consulting group. I had sold the electronics group and uh, our business and, and just really was trying to figure out something to do with my time. And I remember I, um, <laughs> I answered an ad on Craigslist of all things for a real estate assistant in an office here locally, just because I thought, oh, you know, I'm interested in it. I'll just do some back-end work, right? Get a feel for the industry. And I sit down with the manager and he said, man, you're like, you talk pretty well. You present pretty well. You ever considered sales? And at the time I hadn't, hadn't graduated from school. And I, you know, I was like, no, I, I need to, you know, I need my degree and all that. And he said, no, you don't. So a couple thousand bucks and four months later, you know, I'm, I'm licensed and got popped down in an office and didn't know anything. Actually, I was so uninformed, Travis. I remember sending some people who had called for a lease over to a lender to get pre-approved because I just didn't know. I mean, I was so uninformed. It was terrible. So the trajectory of where I was... And, to, the, and this is when you were like, what, 20? 19, 20? Yeah, I was 19 at the time. Yeah. So one of my principles is commit first, figure it out later. So it was more of just a, all right, let's Let's dive into it. You know, so you you basically stopped doing school, right? I did. Yes. No, I I didn't. I didn't actually finish school. Um, I left. I left about a year and a half into it because I just thought, you know what? I don't want to waste time building my own dream now when I already know that I'm never going to work for anybody else. I know what I'm going to build. I know I'm going to build something big. I just need to have an obedience in my own path and not a path that someone else has laid for me because that ultimately leads to the life that they've built. And looking around me, I didn't see anyone in my environment that had a life that I wanted. So I thought, why would I follow the same trajectory? I just wanted to start figuring it out. So I left. And at the time, it wasn't like, oh, I'm dropping out in a big scene. It was just, I'm, I'm just going to set this aside for a minute. 
take action here because you can always go back, right? You can always go back. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Always, you can always do the same thing, 100%. Always, always. You know, and I thought to myself, I thought worst case scenario, I can always get a job because I've always been good at sales. My trouble in real estate was I didn't have the education on how to package and present the product or the experience and how to navigate that water. But I was always good in sales. You draw me in somewhere, I'll be able to sell the product. So I thought I can always make, we'll call it probably fifty-five dollars to $70,000 a year of safety. I can always go back and get something like that. And so I just started figuring it out and just learning from reality, another one of my principles, and just acting quickly and ensuring that if I succeeded or if I failed, I analyzed why. So I can duplicate that moving forward, duplicate the success moving forward. So years and years of that and building on success. And now we're here. <laughs> so now you said something in that, that I want to kind of go back to. You said, I didn't notice anybody around me that was living the life that I felt like I wanted to be living. So what was the life that you wanted to be living at the time? And has that changed since then? It has a little bit in the expression or the worldly expression of the life, but principle hasn't. So principle of the life that I want to be living is to impact and improve the lives of other people, to equip other people with identification of their giftedness so they can go build a life that flows into their strengths instead of defaults to their weaknesses. And also from a, a worldly sense, I wanted to make a lot of money. And that's not because I want just to be super flashy. It's because I unequivocally understand that money is just a tool. And just like a hammer, if it's not in motion, it's not going to work. And in order for money to be in motion, you have to have enough of it to provide movement. Because a little drip or a tsunami are going to provide two different effects. And so I thought to myself, I know that money is a tool for opportunity. I believe that intergenerational wealth is my responsibility and my opportunity. I want to change the world. I can't do that 
if I'm poor. I can't help other people if I can't help my own self and my own family first. And so those two things coupled together. Did you always understand that about money? Was that, was that something that you always kind of understood or was it, did, did it take some reprogramming of your money mindset at all like to get into that? Because I find, I find that a lot of people, including myself, had or struggled with going from feeling that the pursuit of money is bad to the pursuit of money is not only like, okay, but it, it's also really good. Like they're the, like getting, like it's okay to want money and not just okay, but probably even like better to want money. Like I, I was talking with somebody yesterday and talking about how I would be okay if I made X amount of dollars a year. And I was thinking in my head, I was thinking, yeah, that makes sense because your bills are covered. You have a little bit of extra on top for spending money. Okay. But what do you do when the unthinkable happens? Like, what do you do when this giant emer- and um, and it's funny that we're having this conversation about this because this is something that Matt Monero addresses in his book. You need more money. He has a really great story about it. Is like, what happens when a relative gets sick and they need money and they're out and they they can't even pay their bills because it's going to the hospital. And there's so like money does so many good things. There's another per- another one that I'm thinking about where this lady's mother was really really deathly ill, but it was it was not something that they were aware of, and so she hopped on her private jet immediately head out, head, went over to the city that her mom was in, got to the hospital, got to say her goodbyes. But her sister didn't have a private jet. So she jumped on a commercial flight, flew over there um, on the first flight out, but didn't make it in time to say goodbye. Like those little things where it's just like, you know what? Yeah. Would we be okay with a certain amount of money? For sure. Does money affect your happiness? No, not really. In fact, past like $65,000, I think it is. As long as you're above the poverty line, the money is found to have zero impact on your overall happiness as a person to begin with. But we can all agree that it's better to have it. So my my point in asking that question is like, did you just always have that mindset about money or did you have to do some like major reworking to be like, you know what? It's okay that I want to get rich and I don't have to apologize for that. Well, I did always have that mindset, but that's not because I was magically born into that mindset. That's because I come from a line of entrepreneurs, of very successful people who before me went through the learning process themselves. You know, that's the importance of mentorship, of coaching, of getting in in proximity to other people that have done it is as I was growing up, the lessons that they were teaching, because everybody gets, you know, you learn about money and relationships and life, but the lessons were packaged in a way that reinforced money being opportunity and money being a tool. My great uncle was a multi, 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 multi millionaire, an unbelievably successful businessman. And I don't even think he even owned a DVD player. Like he was very frugal. And, you know, it was through his mentorship where he, I understood the importance of the material items are just not the actual goal, but an effect of your impact on the world, that type of thing. You know, your ability to earn is directly relational to the amount of people that you impact. And my own father, my own, and my own mother, I'm able to, fortunate to come from a, a stable home life as well. And when I wanted something, I had to earn it. So then I understand, okay, this, this earning is directly tied to the money, which is the opportunity to get what I want. And then through my own experience of, you know, because we, we have certain beliefs and principles that we're raised in, but then we go out on our own, we have to figure that out for ourselves. And it either confirms or denies what we were born and what we went, or what we were, hardwired to believe as uh, young individuals. And as I went through it on my own, one thing that I, I discovered, which was profound, is that all money does is gives you the opportunity to safely say no. And what I mean by that is everybody is so fearful to say yes when they don't have money. Because if you notice, it's, oh, well, you know, they're, they're going to, they're trying to, to screw you out of your money. or They're trying to take advantage of you. There's so much fear and uncertainty. But one thing that I started doing once I had money is I said no 
to things that I could have said yes to, or I could have said no to. But first of all, I was able to completely 100% detached from the actual internal confidence, say yes or no to those items or to those opportunities in my, into my life, because that opportunity no longer had weight on my confidence. Because my confidence was, if I say yes or if I say no, it doesn't change the fact that I'm still okay. And so a lot of people say, well, money gives you the power to say yes. And it does. You can have nice things, a nicer home. But it also gives you the certainty to say no confidently. So you can start to further decide for yourself what opportunities you can actually really take advantage of. You know, you've been doing this for a little while. You're successful. You get taken advantage of a lot. You do as you start going up the ladder because you don't know what to identify. And now maybe that guy messaging you on Facebook, it's like, hey, I got an opportunity for you. Probably doesn't have your best interest (laughs) at heart, right? Hey, what's up, fellow and future networkers? Want to listen to Build Your Network a day early? Download the Himalaya app and follow the show for exclusive first access. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters, aka me, some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free. It's the easiest platform to use, and they're adding cool new features every single day. So go to the App Store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Build Your Network once you're there. So you're saying I shouldn't invest my life savings in crypto from the guy that reached out to me? <laughs> Probably not. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. So I, look, I, I, you know that I agree with you on a lot of those types of things. Is there some advice that you have for somebody that maybe was like I was three or four years ago? Like how, like how do you reprogram your brain? I remember specifically one time, bro, I was sitting in my car. It was when I was first listening to a ton of podcasts, probably two years ago. And uh, I was following Grant Cardone a little bit. I was listening to a podcast that he was doing and he was talking about just getting rich and why it's okay to get rich. And I found myself like having this internal feeling of opposition to the idea without really knowing exactly why I was feeling that way. And um, he eventually just basically said it and was just like, look, if you're listening to this right now, I, I want you to say out loud, I want to get rich. Say it, like say it right now, wherever you are. I want to get rich. I want to get rich. And um, I, I was in my car by myself, nobody around. And I felt like an actual opposing force like happen inside of me where I, I couldn't actually say the words, I want to get rich. And I eventually ended up saying it like three or four times because I was like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Why am I feeling this way? And um, it, it was, it was, I grew up in, in very religious, and I think you and I have talked about this, a very religious type of a background. So I had always had this different money mindset in my head growing up the whole way. So when I was at that point in my life and I was reframing a lot of the things that I was learning, that was one of those things where it just like took me a while to be like, you know what? Not only is it okay, but it's like, it's more than okay. My impact, my legacy, like the way that I can help other people is all directly correlated to how much money I can earn. So why am I so finding so much tr- like difficulty, finding so much trouble to be able to just say, you know what? I want to get rich and I don't have to. And it's crazy because anybody who says that, Evan, I feel like most of the time they have to caveat it with like, uh, I want to get rich. Well, you know, but like money isn't everything. And it's like, why do we have to caveat that? Who cares? Like, why, why do I have to caveat my own belief? You know, you don't need a scapegoat or disclaimer. And I think it's really interesting because money is so taboo. Like we'll talk about sexuality before we talk about money. Like you'll have other people enter the intimacy of your married life before the intimacy of your, of your financial life. And it's really interesting because 
especially there's so much friction around money. Like, oh, you know, and we've all heard this. Well, money changes people. No, it doesn't. Money is an amplifier. If you're a, a real pain in the ass, you're going to be a bigger you know, pain if you have a million dollars to spend in a checking account and a helicopter to fly you around town than if you've got $10 to your name. That's all it is. And so this thought process of, oh, well, money changes people. No, it really doesn't. What happens is that person has more of an amplification to who they really were internally, right? And there are plenty of examples of great people with money. But the other thing that I think happens internally, and this is really, really hard to digest. My intention isn't to turn anybody off of this episode, but I also believe in being truthful and transparent. And what I firmly believe is that that aversion that you're talking about is the recognition of the responsibility that you have the power to make it so. And in recognizing that you have the power to build what you want to build in your life, whether that be finances, good marriage, great friendships, big business, whatever. We're talking about finances here, but this is directly applicable to everything. The recognition that you have the power to do that also means that you have to recognize somewhere along the road, you made the decision not to. And that is hard for a lot of people to say, well, I want to be rich means that I have the power to be rich means that I've gone 30 years of my life without working towards that big goal. And that's harder to accept than the I want to be rich. That's, there's a lot of friction there. The taking of responsibility is the actual thing that the difficult, that's the real thing they have difficulty with, not necessarily the thought of having money. Exactly. And I find, and I find that a lot of people that talk negatively about having money are people who haven't ever decided that they want to have money and will probably never have money. So it's, it's a way for them to excuse their lack of work and creation toward that goal. A lot of those people will just be like, well, it's not all about money. Well, it's like, oh, I, I understand that. But the reason that you're saying that is that you're starting to realize that that's not in the stars for you. Like you're not, you're not the type of person that's going to go after, like you're not the type of person like what, that's going to do what, what you do, like what we were talking about before you record. Like you're working on your coaching, your podcasting, all these other things that you're doing on top of your real estate business. But you do that when you get home in the late hours of the night or the early hours of the day. That person doesn't want to spend those hours doing those things. They want to spend those hours doing whatever they want to do. And that's fine for them. But just don't talk crap about the people who are doing this and say like, oh, they're all about money and money's a bad thing. And like, you're just using this as an excuse to say why you're not willing to go after your own dreams. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that happiness comes first. I don't believe in, you know, chasing the dollar and all of that. But, and I think that you, you alluded to the really good point here, which is just at the core be real and truthful with what you want. Not everybody wants to be really wealthy. And it's okay not to want that. That's totally fine. Some people really do want to be wealthy. And it's okay to want that and simultaneously not be a jerk about it. But you, like you said, it's the responsibility of, well, Martha got really rich and then she turned into a jerk and I don't want to be a jerk, so therefore I'm not doing that. No, what you're really saying is, I am too scared to touch this side of my life, therefore I'm going to completely push it off. And if you really want it, that's where the lack of responsibility comes into play. Because I know a lot of people, a good amount of people actually, that aren't what we would consider to be really wealthy, but they're happy. And it's like, they're transparent. It's, I don't want this. My dream is over here. And that's totally fine. Just be real with yourself. You know, you can lie to other people, but you got to go to sleep with you at night. You got to be real with yourself. So going back to the original question, I pulled that off on a totally different tangent. The original question of how to reframe your mind if you're in that boat. If you're in the boat of, of like, yeah, making money's bad, that's why. And really, if you're listening to this, like really ask yourself what you truly believe about that. Because I don't think a lot of people 
understand what their own belief about money is because they've never even thought about it. So if you're listening to this right now, I want you to take a second and really think about what is my current belief about money and does this affect my ability to have money flow into my life? Because if you have this internal subconscious resistance to making money, then your subconscious is going to be working during the times where you're not consciously thinking about it to actually prevent money from coming into your life rather than allow money to come into your life. So what can somebody in that situation do to reframe their mind, Evan? Well, a couple of different things that I strongly recommend. Stuff you can do immediately. Finishing uh, listening to this episode and just immediately start on this. The first one is one of my beliefs is that I believe in education over speculation. I also believe in making rationally based instead of emotionally based decisions. Okay. So when you have an an aversion, that aversion is an emotional reaction. It's an immediate defense mechanism pops up. Wait, I'm emotional. Education over speculation. Like you said, Travis, you actually hit the nail right on the head, which is you want to figure out why you want to dig down and determine why, because one of the reasons why people react emotionally is because the emotions overcompensate for the fact that they don't have an explanation for the reason why they feel that way. And so when you can break down why there's aversion, you can start to dissect what in your life can be built to avoid the aversion. So your friend became a jerk and they made a lot of money. Okay, so you have an aversion to being a jerk. Well, start auditing your daily actions. Ask people, like, do you think I'm, I'm a jerk? Start figuring out how you play into that world so you can build the educational wall to build a pathway around what you don't want to be. So the first one is analyzing where the adversion comes from all the way down to the most minute point. Get down to that nitty gritty so you can have clarity and confidence moving forward. The second one is, you know, as far as being able to change the money mindset is I encourage you really just to adopt that analogy of money is just a tool, right? Just like a hammer. It only works when it's in motion and it's just a tool. So it's kind of funny, you know, if you say, well, you have a hundred million dollars, a lot of people will say, well, why do you want that? Okay, well, if you have, you know, a thousand hammers, well, okay, yeah, um, it'd be kind of weird if you're collecting hammers, but if you've got a big construction site and you're putting them all to work, they're really, really useful. And so start to think, a lot of people think of the money as the goal, but the money is the entry point to something greater. It's the entry point to the opportunity. The reason why in that story that you explained, you know, she could hop on her private jet and she could go into town and be there before the passing of her friend, that was just simply an opportunity to buy time. That's all she had access to. The other person didn't have the opportunity to buy the time at such a deep capacity, so they missed the opportunity to be there before the passing of the friend. And so if you think of money as the tool to opportunity, not to stuff, but to opportunity, it'll completely revolutionize your mindset. Because so many people talk about money being the goal. I want to make $100 million. Okay, that's all fine and good, and money's a really good measurement of activity. But on the other side of that, there's something different. You don't want to make $100 million because you want to look at your checking account. Maybe if you're a little OCD, that's fine. But most people, they want to make that money because on the other end of the money, there's an opportunity that they're pursuing that is inaccessible right now. So I would try to determine what opportunity lies on the other end of that. There's a phrase that I love. It's just called doing the math. Reverse engineer the opportunity down and start to figure out your number. Remember, education over speculation and find, okay, now in reality, I've got the goal, a million dollars, $100,000, $50,000, whatever it is to get to the opportunity. So now through that process of doing the math, analyzing the opportunity, recognizing as a tool, understanding why there is emotional adversion, the only thing you have is complete confidence and understanding at the very least and why you make your decisions 
so you can make better decisions moving forward, especially in relation to your financial picture. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Just to kind of throw a couple things on top of this, and then we'll move on to a different conversation here. If you're in this boat and you're looking for tools to kind of help you along this way, I highly recommend checking out Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. It's one of the first books that I read in this whole thing, and uh, it's actually fantastic. And and I highly recommend listening to it too, by the way, um, because it's actually him reading it. And it's a really, really great audiobook. And then uh, You Need More Money is actually a really good one. I know I keep talking about Matt. Shout out to Matt again. Uh, but You Need More Money is a really good is a really good book on the money mindset and what you can do to kind of help fix that and get you to understand exactly to get real with yourself and your, and your current financial situation. So those are just a couple books that I wanted to mention. And now kind of moving on to the next part of the conversation here, Evan. So somebody's sitting there and they're like, okay, cool. Got my money mindset fixed. Now, how do I make money? <laughs> what is your recommendation? And I kind of want to move this more into like the not, not necessarily, let's go build a giant business, but into skills here, right? So following your footsteps, your plan was, I know these people, I know that there, there's opportunity to build businesses, but what did you first do? You went and started just selling stuff. Can you talk about why that was your decision? Well, fundamentally, and actually, so as you know, from engaging with my content, if any of your listeners have engaged with my content, um, every week on Monday, I push out something called Monday Motivation. And if we go back sometime in January, I forget the exact date, but I did a Monday Motivation where I actually answered this exact concept for additional reference if somebody has an, an interest. And what I had mentioned was that fundamentally, you know, like you said, I went to go do sales. What I did is I played into my strengths. You don't have to go and build great businesses, but you can make money by playing into your strengths, right? And so for example, I had some friends of mine that were great uh, with numbers and he actually was in insurance, but he was fantastic with numbers. So what did he do on the side? He started doing people's taxes and now he runs a you know, fairly large, you know, little tax agency, so to speak, on the side. And at the same time, he's still doing insurance. And now he's actually covering all of his expenses from this side hustle to where everything else in his main job is just gravy. So, you know, if you're like you talked about, you know, I, I did sales. Well, my strength was really connecting with people. And then through that connection, finding a solution that aligned the problem they have, and then positioning myself in relation to the solution. That's sales. I could just furnish the solution and I would sell. You know, I have a background. I'm a classically trained concert pianist. I did a lot of music. So what was one thing I would do? I'd write jingles for companies in town. I would produce content for other people. You know, I was always finding a way to use things that I enjoyed doing in a monetary sense to monetize my strengths. So it's like, even now I have a really big creative side to me. Well, a lot of my day-to-day doesn't fuel that creativity, but when I can collaborate on marketing for my luxury real estate properties, when I can do my speaking engagements, when I can put together, uh, collaborate with the marketing for the, the Stuart coaching and the obsessed brand and, and work through the podcast, you know, that feels a creative side of me. And it also hits another monetary goal. And so what I would do, if you're thinking of, okay, how do I go from 3000 to 4,000 a month or 500 to 1000 a month, small gaps, because that's always where you start. I would think about what area of your life do you have a strength that could help other people in any way And then there's always a way to monetize that. And you can always start small. There is somebody in your world right now that'll pay you $250 to $500 for you to do something for them. Somewhere, I promise you, I promise you, you can find $1,000 this next week if you just figure out your strength and then package that strength and deliver it to other people. And so if you're looking for a way to earn more money, start with defining your strengths and then start identifying a need in the market 
so to speak, the relative market, your database at the time of where that strength can come in handy. Like if you're good at numbers, you don't have a tax agency, but you're good at taxes, start calling up your friends. You know, hey, Travis, it's Evan. Listen, I know we're getting into tax season. I just wanted you to know that this year I'm helping out my friends on taxes. We've known each other for years. You know, I'm really good at numbers. I'm really good with taxes. And quite frankly, since I'm new to the whole thing, I'd be willing to do yours for 150 bucks. Do you already have a tax solution? Have you already gotten that figured out? Or do you still need help? How much is your time worth? Is $150 worth an entire day of your time? Okay. Well, if you call no three people that need to do their taxes, there's a couple hundred bucks right there. Yeah. So, so really I like this whole side hustle thing and it's a great conversation, but I noticed, I noticed uh, something even during your little mock phone call there is that you can sell, like you have the ability to sell. So how important is that in all of this? Like, right. Cause, cause, cause that's the main thing that I run into with people that ask me that same question, cause I'll tell them the same stuff. Right. So like, there's something that you know that somebody else doesn't, and they're probably willing to pay you for it. So really trying to figure out what that is, but then people have this aversion to getting on the phone and uh, making a phone call to try to make money. I don't know if it's a money mindset thing or they're not confident in their sales ability, whatever it is. So in terms of skill sets, give me like the top three skill sets that people need to be working on constantly in the background of whatever they're doing currently, regardless of if they're pumping it into their side hustle or into their main money. Absolutely. The number one thing that you absolutely have to do is learn to communicate and communicate well, because everything you do centers around good forms of communication. I wouldn't be good at sales if I was terrible at communicating, okay? And then right below that, the next thing you need to do is figure out how to consistently be bringing value in your relationships. And this one's a little harder, but the reason why, you know, this this network, business podcast to build your network, get in touch and in relation with other great people. This is what this entire concept is about that we're speaking on here on your show. And if you have an aversion to meeting people, if you have an aversion to trying to help friends or family just for the purposes of being a point of value, that needs to change. A point of value would be attentively listen to the conversations that you're having. Really internalize the conversations you have with other people. And when you hear, we we hear this all the time, we'll hear something and think, well, maybe I could help with that. Well, try. Seriously, try. Put yourself out there for your relationships. So if you can communicate, if you can start bringing deeper value to your relationships and fundamentally meet more people, those two things alone will get you connected to more opportunity. But the third one, and this is a little bit idealistic, but really getting good at sales. And I I don't like saying that necessarily because everybody says to get good at sales, but nobody says how. Really, one of the first ways you can start is the way to be a master at sales fundamentally is not necessarily just having passion or conviction, but it's an ability to direct that passion and conviction in a way that inspires somebody else to take action. It's positioning yourself with a solution. So in reality, I'm not selling you to make more money. Going back to that accounting principle, when I made that call, you were a friend that I knew I could help. It just so happened that that help was now a monetary type of relationship and transaction, but it was still, I'm helping you. And so when you can think in that way and call in that way and sell in that way, if you legitimately have a solution, that eliminates a lot of that fear. And then you have a solution because you have relationships that you're identifying needs and you have the relationships because you've learned how to communicate masterfully, how to listen, how to shut up and let somebody else talk ask engaging questions, and just be genuinely interested. Those three things alone will get you a lot farther in life than anything else, I believe. Love it, bro. Love it. Let's go ahead and uh, move on. We're talking about so many different things here that we're running out of time. So I want to make sure that we touch on the networking thing because that's obviously what what we're all about here on Build Your Network. And because 
pretty good uh, lead in to, uh, to the conversation with what you just said. So question that I ask every single guest that comes on the show to get this conversation headed in the right direction, who you know, or what you know, Evan, which one is more important and why? I think who you know is more important. I absolutely think who you know is more important because when you get close to people that are significant players in their market, so to speak, uh, when you get close to people that are significant, just by being in proximity to those people, you can automatically kind of break down barriers to get to other people of quality. But you have to know what you're doing because if you're being hired as a professional and you can't perform, nothing will eliminate trust more than being able to move up in your circles and then invalidate your responsibility to those people by not being able to perform. But if we're talking about one or the other, who you know, I believe is more important. Yeah, yeah. And especially for younger people too that are out there listening, I think that sometimes hearing that answer, because I totally agree with you, by the way, that you have to be at least competent. The level of competency has to be there and you have to be able to treat those relationships with, with respect. So what I mean by that is you do not have to be the absolute best at what you do. So if you are the absolute best at what you do, your relationships will grow with your expertise, but not in an exponential fashion. However, if you are really good at getting to know the right people, your knowledge will grow exponentially in correlation to the people that you get to hang around with. Because if you don't, if you're not a competent person and you don't, and you get in these, these new social circles and these high level people, if you get around high caliber people and you don't rise to their level, you're not going to be around high caliber people for very long. High caliber people spend time with other high caliber people and high caliber people like helping people up from the bottom, right? But they only enjoy helping people who are willing to help themselves. So that's why I say like, yeah, you have to have a certain level of competence, but I don't think that you have to be the best yet. I think that being around those people is going to help you to become that person if you have the ambition and you have the level of competence that allows you to be around those people. But the bottom line is this, there's somebody out there that is not as good as you are at what you do, that is making more money, has more opportunity and living a better life than you are just because they know the right people. So spend some time getting better at knowing the right people. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So tell me about a time, Evan, in your life where this kind of this principle really flushed itself out to be true. A couple of years ago, I started understanding... Uh, actually, it, black and white, it was in real estate when I was trying to up my price point. Because when I started in real estate, I was a low $200,000 agent. And now I represent properties that are multi, 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 multi million dollar estates. So that trajectory, I started noticing when I... When, it was just you know black and white finances of I can earn quadruple my amount by working with these higher net worth clients inadvertently you know upgrading your relationships than these lower net worth clients. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you're going to spend a couple hours on something that you could earn four times, why would you not spend your time earning four times what you normally would? And so that was really where it solidified was in the representation of wow, focusing on upgrading the quality really has its benefits. But then it was also just in through that and through work, I started really asking clients, um, clients that I had great relationships with just to, to, to introduce me to people they cared about. I started getting around individuals that were, I, I believe were doing great things and did nothing else except to simply watch and observe. And then from a professional standpoint, this, this had monumental effects on my business. But also from a personal standpoint, I started learning things that they had learned. And I started decreasing the time of education that you have to learn through hard knocks on your own through other people's experiences. And so really over the last probably six years, 
this concept has really come to fruition. It's, it's been powerful. Yeah. Is that how you were able to kind of break into that market as well? Meaning like, did you see direct results from like getting around uh, mentors who were working with that client group? Or did you see that success coming from getting to know that client group? It was really getting from, I had no mentors in real estate. I had no anything. It was getting around that client group and it was really, really hard. And um, the one thing is that, again, one of my principles, right? Education over speculation. I knew that when I got my hands on a luxury property, I could sell it without a doubt because I had all the tools and all the resources. I just had never had a chance to prove myself. And so one thing that I found is that 98% of my business is done by referral. And so a lot of times I'll say, Hey, Travis, you know, who comes to mind right now is somebody who would appreciate the level of service I provide. But see, people refer laterally, right? You're going to think of somebody in a similar position to you. So then I start asking, okay, Travis, who's the most important person in your life? And how do I make my way to him or her? Who's somebody that you look up to? See, you start thinking up. And so you do this over enough times, over enough times, over enough times, you start playing in that world. And then when you do your job really, really well, then when people refer laterally, well, now that lateral referral is three or four or $5 million instead of $300,000. And so it's just an obedience of that time and time and time again. You know, somebody says, oh, you did a great job. Like, we just love you to death. I said, great, tell somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this. Do you grow your beard so people think you're older? Yes. That's why I actually grew my beard initially. Now I, I had to trim it down a little bit because when it, my, my hair gets kind of big, so when it grows out, it look like mountain man. But but no, that that's exactly why I did it years and years ago. Yeah. Same here, bro. Same here. Because <laughs> uh, you're you're 25, right? Yeah, 26 in September. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So yeah. So right when you turn 26, I'll be turning 27. Right before you. So yeah, that, I did the same exact thing, man. Like everybody. Everybody's surprised when I tell them my age because I grow this beard so people take me more seriously. (laughs) That honestly speaks to a really powerful point because you were doing business with people without having a direct connection to booking the clientele, meaning that you didn't, like I was saying before, you you weren't working with a prominent broker in town who's been in the luxury market for 25 years and looking to hand off a base of clients to a mentee. Like you broke into that market and got that first person to trust you who, what, at the time, maybe 23? 24? I think I might have been 21, actually. When you got your Maybe first like 22. higher ticket. Okay, yeah, so. my first luxury listing was a million and a half. And I think it was 21 or 22. No, I was 21 because he said, let's go out for a drink. And it was a couple of weeks before my 21st birthday. And uh, I said, well, I said, I'm busy. We'll plan it for a couple of weeks because I couldn't actually order a drink at the bar. <laughs> so, so not even able to order a drink at the bar. How did you, <laughs> how did you like build the relationship enough to work? Because the bottom line is people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. But the level of no, then like, then trust depends on how much business they're willing to do with you, right? So if people know you, they'll maybe buy your book for 15, 20 bucks. People like you, they might spend a little bit more money with you. But this guy is listing his $1.5 million home with you as a 20-year-old. He obviously trusted that you would do a good job with it. What did you do to make him do that? Well, one big thing that you can do, and this is across all price points, I'll use real estate as the analogy, but one big thing that you can do is when you're trying to upgrade your quality of client, and this is what I did, is there are a couple of different ways you can do that. My experience at the time wasn't in selling multi-million dollar properties, but I did so much of the low end, the lower end that I had the numbers to back it up because everybody says, okay, you're full of crap because you're in your twenties until you do tens of millions of dollars in sales. And now all of a sudden, nobody cares how old you are because they know you can do your job. And so I had enough validity through that other level of work that I could say, look, if I, if I can do for you what I've done for all these other people, what's stopping us from working together? Because the only difference between your property and their property is I haven't sold yours yet. Yeah. Do you care about the age of your realtor? Or do you care about selling your home? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, if we want to talk about numbers, let's talk about the equity you're going to read. 
you know, I was born as fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got a line for everything, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Real quick on that too, though, by the way, how much time did you spend like practicing sales scripts and hitting the phones when you first start? Because I mean, we're talking about like a one and a half year period here between the time that you're 19, you start by sending, trying to get a prequal letter for a lease right? You go from that to a year and a half later, booking this guy for a, a million and a half dollar listing. So you obviously came a long way in that year. You had a lot to show him in terms of your portfolio and stuff. And what, maybe sold 60, 70 homes or something, 40, 50 homes to hit those kinds of numbers? Actually, I didn't. At the time, it was only just a few million in sales. But really, there was I had enough validity there to start the conversation. But by the time, as far as like hitting the phones and whatnot, building up the business, it was a very referral-based, relational-based. You know, my average client will produce three referrals from the start of the relationship to the closing of the transaction. So my average client would duplicate himself or herself at least once. But really what it came down to is just being unbelievably educated. Unbelievably, I, I just knew everything about the market. I knew how to market and position and sell, but I also knew what was going on where it was, oh, you know, have you heard about this property down the street? Not only have I heard about it, but I've been in it and let me tell you about it, that type of thing. Because I knew education is one of the best things you can do to overcompensate for lack of experience. And then you just be truthful. And when you say, look, I, I can't tell you that I've been doing this for 10 years, but what I can tell you is this. And then you lean into that education and show that you're competent because the competency really, when somebody says, Travis, are you sure? Like you're a little young. When somebody's saying that, what they're really saying and what I recognized and how I stopped reacting to those conversations is first of all, Somebody who's talking like that means that they care enough about themselves and their home that they want to protect it. That's a client you want to work with, right? The second one is when somebody gives a objection like that, what they're really saying is, I need to know that I can trust this investment with you. Not that I don't believe you can do it. I just need to know why because most people that age are over you know, screwing off and drinking. So what makes you different? And no wonder they would ask because they don't know you yet. So, But as far as practicing and hitting the phones and whatnot, man, it was every countless hours. I remember getting up one morning and it's, it's a little bit, you know, kind of like a woe is me story, but I remember getting up and I was so exhausted. I actually, like my eyes were watering and I actually just felt like crying walking to the gym because I hated it. I hated it so much. But I was like, you know what I hate more than doing this now is I'd hate being in this crappy apartment for the rest of my life. I'd hate waking up like this again and again and again. And it was while it was dark outside in the morning, in the evening, I was practicing, I was running scripts, I was analyzing, I would secretly record, get a voice memo on my phone and put it in my pocket, record the entire presentation, and then go back and analyze why didn't they close? What was wrong? How did I present? And I'd find loopholes and I'd fix it again and again, just an obsessive desire to fix and to strategize moving forward. And honestly, I think that was really a big part of it more than the hitting the phones was just understanding what worked and what didn't. Yeah. I love that, bro. I mean, we could keep talking for probably another couple of hours, but uh, we got to be respectful of everybody's time here, yours, mine, and listeners. Maybe we can do like a young entrepreneur's event or something together sometime and really talk about, um, talk about entrepreneurship in your 20s or something like that. Um, something like that'd be cool. But anyway, let's go ahead and jump right into the last segment, bro. Something I like to call the random round. Uh, just some quick random questions and some quick random answers. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Background in music. I would love to do something in music. I think it's so creative and so inspiring. And I'm fascinated by how much opportunity there is in that industry. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk with them for an hour, who would it be and why? That's a really good one. I've always been fascinated by Covey. I think probably Zig Ziglar though, because he's kind of like the OG of inspiration and motivation. And um, 
just a, a really successful thought leader, probably Ziegler. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I love audiobooks and podcasts because I'm always in movement. I love videos when I have time to sit down and watch videos, but number one is audiobooks and podcasts for sure. What's an audiobook you read recently or listened to recently that you'd recommend? Ryan Serhant's book, Sell It Like Serhant, is a fantastic book for real estate agents and anybody looking for uh, to up their sales profession. That, that one I just finished last week. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I get up. I don't work out in the mornings anymore, but my principles are God first, family second, business third. So I spend time in prayer and meditation and really taking about half an hour, have an espresso. I sit quietly in a room and um, just really start my day as peaceful as possible because my day is unbelievably hectic. So I start the day in peace. I end the day in peace to ensure that regardless of how the day goes, I can still start and end with a breath. What is your go-to pump-up song? Man, I got a lot. I absolutely secretly love like dubstep and gangster rap. So um, I have a 10X playlist on uh, on Spotify that can get me pumped up, but probably some electronic music, yeah. Maybe we can share that in the show notes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what is something that you are not very good at? I'm terrible at math and numbers because I'm incredibly analytical and detail-oriented in regards to applicable structure, but I have a lot of trouble in the ambiguity of really deep interplay between numbers and different systems. So I, I've got people I delegate that to. And as we wrap everything up here, bro, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? Awesome. Well, right now I'm super active on Instagram. So you can give me a follow at real Evan Stewart. And uh, then my website, evancstewart.com is under construction, but It'll be out soon with all types of other content. Perfect. So head over to Instagram. If you listen to this right now, uh, screenshot this episode, upload it to Instagram story, tag me in it. That's at Travis Chapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L and at Real Evan Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Um, over on Instagram, tag us in there. Let us know you've been listening, tuning in and that way we can go over there and say what's up. Evan, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Absolutely loved it, man. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about how we've been able to get some of the guests to come on the show, I've created a totally free resource called Meet Your Hero. So if you'd like to connect with people you respect and admire that are difficult to reach, you're going to want to go to travischapel.com hero to take action and start that training today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.